report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. I pray and hope. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. I'm Mark Webster, one of the family members of Israeli hostages who may soon have some of those prayers and hopes answered with the beginning of a four-day truce and hostage-prisoner exchange now less than a day away. He was my best friend. He was my big brother. He was my safe place. Every one of them need to come home and not, not in coffins. That was 47 days ago that my heart has been buried in Gaza. While fighting is expected to pause overnight our time, today the battle continues to rage in Gaza. We just returned from the Gaza Strip. We were with the Israeli military getting another first-hand look at the fighting that still continues at this hour. Both sides continuing fierce battles in and around Gaza City. Fox correspondent Trey Yingst, there's a chance the truce could be extended if Hamas releases more hostages after that initial 50. That first group is expected to be freed tomorrow and will likely include three Americans, including a young girl. Not expected to subside ongoing attacks against American forces in the region by Iran-backed militias. A U.S. counterstrike yesterday was one of only a handful against more than 60 militia attacks. Former Defense Secretary Mark Esper said the current U.S. policy of limited retaliation just isn't working. Well, I think you have to increase the scope, scale, and frequency of the attacks. You know, I recall when I was defense secretary in late 2019, there was an attack on our forces, an American was killed, and we responded in one evening with multiple airstrikes against multiple targets, and we ended up killing, I think, 25 militiamen, Uh, injuring twice as many as that, and we saw the attacks subside. Dozens of U.S. soldiers have been injured in those Iran-backed attacks. Holiday travel, that's the other big story today, one of the busiest travel days of the year. AAA's Robert Sinclair. No matter where you are in the country, it's going to be very busy on the roads as you get holiday travelers mixing with commuters, all hitting the road at the same time. Despite a bit of dodgy weather, so far flying's been fairly smooth along the East Coast. Not busy at all. Maybe it's because the government hired more air traffic controllers to deal with the holiday travel rush this year. TSA says the busiest days to fly are Tuesday, Wednesday, and the Sunday after Thanksgiving. Correspondent Mac Rosenberg. Other people aren't taking the roads or the planes. They're hitting the rails. Definitely more room, more leg room, walk around, um, nice, you know, cafe cart that you can sit there and look at the scenery while you eat your food and have coffee. Well, you might even be looking ahead to your return trip. So far, that's not looking too bad either. Meteorologist Kevin Williams will have all the local weather details just ahead. As much of the nation gears up for holiday shopping as well, a leader in the Christian world cautions people that costly consumerism can become addictive and each round becomes less satisfying. Over time, the pleasure-seekingness in our brains, it takes more and more stuff to actually feel any level of that idea of pleasure. Rachel Cruz is a financial expert at Ramsey Solutions. A deadly landslide in an Alaskan fishing community. We're in the house and we just started hearing this rumbling and they just described it as it sounded like maybe a jet was going to be crashing on the house or right next to it. They went running outside. Three people confirmed dead in that huge landslide triggered by recent storms. Three other people remain missing. The biggest crypto exchange in the world will pay over $4 
billion dollars in fines. Attorney General Merrick Garland. Finance has agreed to plead guilty to willfully violating the Bank Secrecy Act, knowingly failing to register as a money transmitting business and willfully violating the International Emergency Economic Powers Act. The company's CEO also agreed to pay $50 million in fines and stepped down from his role under a deal with the DOJ. Sam Altman is returning as the CEO of OpenAI. Altman was fired unexpectedly last Friday as head of the ChatGPT company, shocking the tech industry. The move triggered hundreds of OpenAI employees to sign a letter threatening to leave and join Altman at Microsoft unless the company's board members resigned and Altman was rehired. The IRS is postponing a rule change for the second year in a row that would impact tax filers who receive business income via payment apps and online marketplaces. They include Venmo, PayPal, Etsy, Airbnb, or others. The change would have brought in 44 million more 1099K forms in January to those filers, who would include small business owners, freelancers, and gig workers. The IRS said it's delaying implementation yet again because of potential taxpayer confusion. I'm Lisa Taylor. And today marks a somber anniversary in American history. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. CBS News anchor Walter Cronkite breaking the news of the assassination of President Kennedy 60 years ago today. In a statement issued today, President Biden called Kennedy's death a defining moment of deep trauma and loss that shocked the soul of the nation. Still to come here on the noon report, ammunition in the fight against fentanyl overdose deaths. All is not sweetness and light at this year's Syracuse Nutcracker Ballet. And some very helpful horses in Blair County, PA. Good afternoon, I'm Kevin Williams. On the eve of Thanksgiving, we've got just a spot of rain or drizzle in the forecast. I've got details coming up. We'll see you in 10. All right, thank you very much, Kevin. Now checking the stories making news where you live in New York and Pennsylvania. Well, a few showers, but otherwise pretty smooth sailing on roads in New York and PA for Thanksgiving travelers. Much better conditions than overnight when wind and rain got pretty intense in parts of New York and PA. Gusts close to 60 miles an hour clocked in western New York. Some downed trees, scattered power outages in Pennsylvania as well. Reese Richmond got an early start to Thanksgiving. Get in quick and leave quick. Yeah, good strategy. She says there's a secret to her travel madness. Avoid the crowd, avoid the storms. Everyone normally travels on Wednesday. I try to get out as early as I can on Tuesday. Every year I end up coming back here. I also went to boarding school for high school, so I've been doing the holiday travel for quite some time. All right, Kevin Williams again. We'll update our forecast in just a few minutes. Nearly 2,000 service workers and caregivers at the University of Rochester's Medical Center have voted to authorize a two-day strike. No strike date set. Negotiations continue on a new contract to replace the old one that expired last month. Union Vice President Trevi Harrison tells WROC. The wages that this employer is offering is not competitive. It does not provide a living wage. And then you have those who've been working for this employer for some years who feel as though they are not being Value, that there is no respect for the work that they've done, that they're doing. Union member Angel Sprinkle. We keep trying to make everything go. We keep making the wheels turn. And unfortunately, we are at the point where now we actually have to get to this point to where we have to demand what we need to be able to provide for our families. The two unions involved recently held an informational picket outside of Strong Memorial Hospital. Negotiations set to resume November 28th. A group of New York State lawmakers are calling to remove the group's Students for Justice in Palestine from campuses statewide. 
More from Family Life's Sarah Harnish. The group has chapters in colleges and universities across the country, including New York and Pennsylvania, and is on campus at the University of Buffalo, University of Rochester, and Cornell. It was suspended last week at Columbia University for unauthorized events, threatening rhetoric and intimidation. Assemblymember Ari Brown and a group of lawmakers have asked Governor Hochul to shut down chapters, saying, quote, she's the boss, put a stop to it. The group already responded called it suppression of students' First Amendment rights. Brown says their message is anti-Semitism, not political speech. Sarah Harnish, Family Life News. Thank you, Sarah. A new law in New York combats the opioid overdose epidemic by allowing pharmacies and health care providers to offer free fentanyl testing strips. Those strips can detect fentanyl and different narcotics before they're consumed. James McDonald is a Democrat from District 108. When people are struggling with substance use disorder, they don't usually worry about their source of supply of their medication, of their drugs. And the truth of the matter is a lot of those drugs can have adulterants in it that are fatal. The legislation is named after Matthew Horan, a New York resident who died from an overdose in 2020 after ingesting fentanyl unknowingly. It's named in his honor, but he's unfortunately not the only person who succumbed to this disease. And in fact, the CDC says more than 150 people die every day nationwide from synthetic opioids like fentanyl. The show will go on in Syracuse, but without much of its original cast. A labor rift at the Syracuse City Ballet has cost several dancers their jobs just days before they were to take the stage in a popular annual Christmas production of The Nutcracker. I was listening to the music and it hit me that, that we wouldn't be doing it this year and it's really emotional. Now, ex-Syracuse City Ballet dancer Lucy Hamilton, one of several who walked out to protest several things, including what they contended were unsafe working conditions at the ballet. Eight dancers walked out. Two decided to return when threatened with firing. This downtown commerce official is worried about the impact of the upheaval. I just hope that uh, it doesn't impact the attendance of people. Um, people might uh, be disappointed with the cast, per se, and that certainly could impact ticket sales. The opening performance of the Nutcracker in Syracuse, scheduled for December 1st. Many food pantries in our two-state region are overwhelmed by the number of families turning to them for help these days. Family Life's Jeremy Miller says high grocery prices are impacting many of those community ministries. High food prices this Thanksgiving are hitting everyone, including food pantries and food banks. A survey by the New York Farm Bureau finds the average cost for a Thanksgiving meal this year has spiked 6% to around $70. Meantime, food banks say demand for services has gone up alongside inflation, and the rising costs make it more difficult for grocery stores to donate. So food banks and pantries have to start gathering donations early. Jeremy Miller, Family Life News. All right, thank you very much, Jeremy. Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania residents may be facing a steep tax hike next year. A new budget plan being considered by the County Board of Commissioners would raise the tax rate by almost 6%. Dave Bolzoni is the county's chief financial officer and tells WBRE. We're subject to inflation just like everyone else is. If our costs are increasing based on the current inflationary environment, we have to generate sufficient revenues in order to meet those costs because our job is to deliver services. The Lackawanna County property tax rate has held steady since 2020. Commissioners will vote on the new budget and tax plan November 30th. 
That's the sound of volunteers making a big impact for the homeless in Erie by building a tiny home. Workers from Renewal by Anderson spent the past weekend adding the home to the Kiwanis Family Village, the fifth for community shelter services. Executive Director Diane Lizette tells Erie News Now there's a big need for the little homes as temporary shelters that keep families together. I'm sad to report that we're full every night and when the phone rings of um, someone, an individual or a family looking for a place and we're full. The volunteers say they get an awful lot by giving back. It's Thanksgiving week and time to give thanks. Uh, and we're going to give people, uh, families, an opportunity to stay together. Be able to give back and you know, have a company that supports and all the talented people that we have here building this building. This building um, tremendous. It's, it's awesome. While their main shelter separates men from women and children, the 12 by 16 foot tiny homes allow families to stay together. People in Blair County, Pennsylvania, with physical or emotional challenges are finding help by hopping on a horse. I touch my horses here. I can stay like this forever. <laughs> Dreams Go On is a nonprofit providing equine therapy services to kids and adults. Program manager Debbie Kelly tells WTAJ. We do everything on horseback. <laughs> everything. Basketball, football, baseball. We play store. Everything is done on horseback. Kelly says the connection that forms between horse and rider is something to behold. They open up to the horses, they build self-confidence, and also overall body strength, not just emotionally, but physically. Instructor Melinda Anderson says it's important to match the right person with the right horse. So if we have a rider that's ADHD or very hyperactive, we might put them on a horse that's also very fast moving because they can relate to each other. I walk out of here and I never, all my problems are gone. You look at these kids and just the world is great. Kelly says the therapy is sometimes so effective clients are even able to be taken off of certain medications because the time spent with a horse has proven to be an even stronger medicine. All right, next up, Greg is in off the bench, subbing for Randy with a look at sports. Thank you, Mark. It is a big weekend of feasting on football for many of us. College football makes a big play for your attention during Thanksgiving week. Big battles in the SEC East and the ACC and Pac-12. Clemson has a chance for an upset. And cross-state rivalries are happening, including several involving top 25 teams. Some of the big games coming this weekend. Louisville at Miami, Utah at Arizona, Georgia at Tennessee, North Carolina at Clemson, Kansas State at Kansas, Washington at Oregon State, and Texas at Iowa State. College football rankings shaken up a little bit as Washington goes past Florida State into fourth place. Florida State falls to number five, and their quarterback, Jordan Travis, has fallen for the rest of the season for a knee injury. Georgia, Ohio State, and Michigan still ranked top five. James Madison will not be going to court trying for a bowl game. The university has announced that even though the state's attorney general had threatened to sue the NCAA, that will not happen. No one in the NBA has ever scored 39,000 points in a career until last night. LeBron James hit a three-pointer earlier in the game, and he makes the first NBA star to hit that milestone. The Lakers tromped the Jazz and moved to the quarterfinals of the NBA's in-season tournament. College basketball, the Maui Classic, Marquette upsets Kansas, and Purdue beats Tennessee. 
Marquette and Purdue, both 5-0 and now. Kansas, their first loss of the year. And that is your Midday Family Life Sports. All right, thank you very much, Greg. Still to come on the Noon Report, the latest on the Gaza hostage deal. How friendly are the skies for Thanksgiving travel this year? And godly paths for Christian singles to find their one true life mate. Some real answers are on the way. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. November marks the anniversary of the death of John Witherspoon, one of the most important and perhaps most underrated of the American founding fathers. Born in Scotland in 1723, Witherspoon received an M.A. at age 16 from the University of Edinburgh, and he continued his studies in theology there. In 1745, he became an evangelical minister in the Church of Scotland. In 1764, the University of St. Andrews awarded Witherspoon an honorary doctorate of divinity. Four years later, Witherspoon accepted the presidency of a Presbyterian college in New Jersey, the College of New Jersey, which is now known as Princeton University. Witherspoon found the school in quite a mess. The students were given poor teaching. They had an inadequate library. But through fundraising, reorganization, higher standards, and securing new resources, including donating hundreds of his own books from his personal library, Witherspoon transformed the college into a top-tier school. In addition to providing leadership at such a crucial time in the university's history, Witherspoon taught courses in rhetoric, history, divinity, and moral philosophy, which was a required course at the college. His ideas were anchored in his Reformed faith and the natural law tradition, but were also heavily influenced by a Scottish philosopher, Thomas Reed, and common sense realism. These ideas took deep root in Princeton and across American society in general. Witherspoon's teaching laid essential groundwork for both the American Revolution and the government that followed. Leaning heavily on the Calvinist tradition, Witherspoon promoted the rights of people to challenge governmental outreach, even by force of arms if necessary. So, unsurprisingly, he strongly supported the American Revolution especially concerned by a growing centralization of government and the crown taking responsibilities historically given as prerogatives of the colonies. And the final straw for Witherspoon was when bishops were appointed from England to oversee religious life in the colonies. Like his Presbyterian forebears in Scotland, Witherspoon saw these violations as justifications for revolt. He served in the Continental Congress from 1777 to 1784, taking on an incredible amount of work and serving on over 100 committees. After the war, he helped draft the Articles of Confederation, later shepherded the Constitution through the New Jersey State Legislature. And even with that impressive resume, Witherspoon's most important impact still came from the students who took his moral philosophy classes at the College of New Jersey. Witherspoon taught James Madison the necessity of checks and balances in government. Among his other students were Aaron Burr, 37 judges, several members of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, three justices of the U.S. Supreme Court, 10 cabinet officers, 12 members of the Continental Congress, 28 U.S. senators, 49 U.S. congressmen. John Witherspoon was arguably the single most influential founder to shape the early years of the Republic. But despite all that, Witherspoon is mostly remembered today for owning two slaves. Many of the founders, his attitudes towards slavery were complex and often contradictory, a fact that explains but does not excuse his views. Witherspoon taught that slaves and employees should be treated with dignity and respect. He even spoke out against the institution of slavery at the College of New Jersey. However, he also opposed a measure by which the state legislature would have banned slavery in New Jersey. Like many others, he believed slavery would die out in a generation or so anyway, and that the legislation was both unnecessary and could even interfere with the process he believed 
was inevitable. Though there were a few consistent abolitionists among the founders, Witherspoon was among the many elites of the 18th century who owned slaves as domestic servants or to work their land. Inasmuch, he failed to extend his convictions about liberty for all to the slaves in his midst. That's a moral tragedy, but it also should not fully blot out the honor owed to him for his incredible contributions to the founding of the United States, to securing the freedoms that we now enjoy. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. All right, now let's check in with Kevin Williams. Here is your family life weather forecast. It will be overcast this afternoon with a spot of rain or drizzle. Just very localized. Temperatures not moving much, holding nearly steady. It will be fairly cloudy tonight into tomorrow, Thanksgiving Day. Be a couple of scattered showers and wet flurries across New York State, but during the day tomorrow, clouds will break for some sunshine across central and eastern Pennsylvania particularly. Low tonight, 30s, high tomorrow, 40s. Friday, brisk, colder, clouds, sun, and some lake flurries and high temperatures in the 30s to near 40s. Ah, thank you very much, Kevin Williams. We'll check in again with you later. This is the Noon Report on Family Life. I'm Mark Webster. Thank you very much for joining us. Again, let's check some of the top stories now. Hostages in Gaza. The BBC's Anna Foster with more on the agreement reached last night. At least 50 hostages, women and children, will be released over the course of four days, during which a pause in the fighting will happen in Gaza. They've also said that the release of every additional 10 hostages will result in one additional day in that pause in fighting. Staying in the Middle East, American troops in the region have been under constant attack by Iranian-backed militias. It happened again in Iraq this week, and for one of the few times, the U.S. punched back. U.S. fighter jets struck two targets in Iraq early today in retaliation for the attacks against American troops there. The U.S. Central Command says the strikes were a direct response to attacks by Iranian-backed groups in Iraq. A warplane had already struck one target after the latest attack at the Al-Assad Air Base. The Iraqi government calls these strikes a violation of its sovereignty. CBS's Cammy McCormick. AAA says... This year's Thanksgiving travel will be the third busiest on record. 55.5 million Americans expected to take a trip somewhere. I like to come early, and the reason I like to come early is because it reduces my stress. So I think my ticket here round trip was like $450, and usually I fly home for around $250. So, yeah, I would say it's definitely a little more pricey. Well, maybe not so much if you're driving, though. The price of fuel is down by nearly 40 cents on average from this time last year. Those that left this morning in New York and PA had quite a wild ride on the road, though. Wind gusts up to 60 miles an hour clocked at the Buffalo Airport, hammering freezing rain, poor visibility. The same storm system caused more trouble in other parts of the Northeast. Visibilities is the next concern. Now that the rain's gone, we still have flooded roads and also sidewalks, but the visibility is down to one and a half, even a half a mile in some places. So uh, really make sure you're you know slowing down your commute. I would say if you are going to travel, just wait a couple more hours to give that sunshine to burn off those uh, low clouds fog. Overall, though, most should find relatively smooth sailing for the rest of the holiday travel weekend. And it's time to give thanks for our canine friends. This Thanksgiving will bring the 22nd annual National Dog Show, put on by the Kennel Club of Philadelphia. That starts at noon Eastern, runs until 2 p.m. on NBC. Among the four-legged honorees this year, a canine who was key in the high-profile recapture of Pennsylvania felon Danilo Cavalcante. You're listening to the Noon Report on Family Life. It's 
time for another edition of Real Answers, our Wednesday news feature during the noon report as we tackle the tough issues facing Christians with licensed mental health counselor Christopher Anderson. Today, we are talking specifically to singles about how to find the right one. Yeah, Greg, this is a big topic, and I think it's especially so in Christian circles because we want to honor God with our choices, our relationships, and we want to do that according to His Word. And you want to have us talk about cohabitation as well. (laughs) Yeah, before anyone fires off an email or calls the newsroom, I'll come right out and say, and say it right now, that I'm not advocating for cohabitation, but, you know, it is something to talk about. Uh, Back in the 1970s, just to give you some perspective here, Greg, only about 0.2% of romantic partners lived together without being married or before they got married, and today that number is up to 15%. Now, let's take into consideration jumping from one-fifth of 1% up to 15% is a significant increase, but for many conservatives who look around at the culture, they might be very surprised that that number 15% wasn't much higher. It's a good sign that people are still wary of cohabitation because research does actually continue to show that after the first year of marriage, if they lived together before they got married, still comes out as a risk factor in divorces after that first year. What is it about that first year and not sooner? You know, when people do live together before they get married, it might remove some of that initial adjustment stress that all couples will go through when they first get married, but the couple might be more accustomed to living together Um, Well, you know, they've been doing so already, but that's where any positives end, if you can call them positives. Cohabitation is really like a false substitute for marriage. In a sense, people are wanting to function as a married couple, but without the commitment and the fidelity. And as the enemy often does, he wants us to substitute something in for God's design that he can very craftily use to try to tell us that it's, you know, this is just as good, if not better. Well, we know that's not the case. And in this case, there's no commitment there. So if a couple decides to end it after living together, well, they just part ways. They don't have to go through the legalities of going through a divorce. Chris, you and I have both heard people say that they think it's a good idea to do a trial run for the real thing instead of getting married first. They're trying to see if they can live together well. They are, and that's a big excuse and why people are living together before they get married. The the truth is, though, Greg, is this. You can find out everything you need to know about a potential life mate without actually living together first. So then how do our single friends go about finding that right one. Well, I really like how therapist and author Deborah Folletta says it. She's a frequent contributor to Focus on the Family. And she says, the more you identify yourself, your interests, and where God is taking you, the more quickly you'll be able to decide whether or not you want to actually pursue a potential partner further. In other words, I'm not saying, neither is Deborah. she's not saying that this is the person that you should marry, but knowing yourself very well. In other words, what what are the things that your interests that God is giving you your heart? You know, where, where's God taking you in your life? What's his plan for your life? Knowing yourself well means that you have an easier time simply deciding whether or not a person that you're dating is someone that you really want to investigate further and spend more time with as you develop that friendship and that relationship with them. And then, of course, eventually that type of a, a investigation can lead to discussions about marriage down the road. You know, there are actually also inventories and assessments that you can take 
online that will actually help you to do this, kind of get your get to know yourself better first. What role do friends and family have, if any, to help you identify that right one? Friends and family can help us provide feedback in a very honest and real way, but you need to be careful on how you go about doing this, of course. So double dating with another married couple uh, that also shares your Christian faith is a great way of being able to once again to help determine whether or not somebody is going to be a good match without actually having to live with them. We talked about the influence of family and friends. Do you have a word for folks who might be feeling pressure to hurry up and make a decision? I think that's a pretty common uh, occurrence, and you need to stop and figure out where that pressure is coming from. Is it coming from yourself or from other people? This is why it may be a good idea to seek counsel, at least from a trusted, older, and wiser Christian friend. But the bottom line is, do not be pressured into making a serious decision of this nature. At the same time, don't drag it out either. You know, you don't want to take too long, because that could be an indicator that you've got an element of fear going on and that you're not really just trusting God in this. So remember, finding the right one does not mean finding the perfect one, okay? That's a big thing to remember, too. There is no perfect mate out there, and as we know, the only perfect person is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Christopher Anderson is a licensed mental health counselor, and he joins us for the Family Life News feature, Real Answers, as we tackle the tough topics that Christians face. All right, thank you very much. Faith Under Fire airs Wednesdays during the noon report or online anytime at familylife.org. Just ahead. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. This system that brought our region the cold rain, the wind yesterday and last night is still affecting us to the extent of some wraparound moisture that'll keep us shrouded in clouds for a bit with a spot of rain here and there. And by the end of the week, colder air and maybe a few lake flakes come Friday. In the meantime, spot of rain or drizzle, temperatures not moving much, holding nearly steady. Then rather cloudy for tonight and for Thanksgiving Day. There could be and can't be ruled out a sprinkle, a little drizzle, maybe a snow flurry. But during the day tomorrow, clouds will break for some sunshine across central and eastern Pennsylvania particularly. Low tonight, 30s, high tomorrow, 40s. All right, thank you, Kevin. Finally at noon, happy National Jukebox Day. Put another nickel in the Nickelodeon is another word for a jukebox. In fact, when the first one debuted November 23rd, 1889, at a California saloon, it was called a nickel-in-the-slot phonograph. Catchy. It quickly made the saloon keeper a lot of nickels, though, and in no time, phonograph parlors sprang up all over America. The technology advanced from music cylinders to records. In 1905, John Gable debuted the Automatic Entertainer, a machine with ooh, 24 records inside to choose from. By the 1920s and 30s, the music machines took a hit, though. Radio began to take hold as the easiest way to listen to music, but the machines rallied again by the 1950s. The term jukebox is thought to have originated in the South, derived from the slang juke, meaning to dance and act wildly. Well, hey, play any song you like, well, except that one song. Please, Mr. Please. That's the world we live in for Wednesday, November 22nd, 2023. As always, thank you very much for listening. Have a blessed Thanksgiving. I'm Mark Webster, Family Life News. You've been listening to The Noon Report, heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.